Uh, Father, we come here to glorify you, to hallow your name, your son, your spirit. We come here to be changed by your word. We pray that it would be effectual, that it would be powerful, and that your kingdom would advance in our individual lives, in our families and households, and in our church. Lord, through your son Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, so if you're a little bit newer, um, if you've only been here for maybe a couple months or, or less, uh, you might be wondering why you're like, we just read all these scriptures and never talk about them. Uh, but we do. We talked about them on Wednesday. And so uh, if you want to hear about those scripture verses, we probably have a podcast or a live feed that you can watch or something. But we do those on Wednesdays. And so those are more expository preaching where we just go through our um, the lectionary of uh, verses for the week that have already been set in the church calendar for at least three years in advance. And that way we hit all the scriptures. And so uh, when I got slated to preach this morning, I could have done the same thing I did Wednesday, which is the easy way out. Uh, but if you're not going on Wednesday, if you don't want to hear it on Wednesday, you don't want to hear it here. But you should. But anyways, um, we're going to look at uh, something else besides those scripture verses, I decided not to go the easy way and talk about something. A, uh, it's a scriptural concept on the kingdom of God, but uh, maybe a little more. I, I, what I hope to do is just instill in everybody just a biblical, a more full, a more biblical, godly picture of the kingdom of God in one aspect being that the kingdom is not going to be shaken, and we'll see that in Hebrews 12, um, 18 through 29. I don't have any slides. I don't ever do slides. That's a lot of extra work for me, so I decided to make a lot of extra work for you, and so you have pew Bibles. There's a table of contents if you don't know where Haggai is. Take a look now, because <laughs> we're going to go to it. Um, but we're going to read Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not cope with the command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. But you have come, come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when he, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. 
as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let's show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So we're going to pretty much break this up into two parts, 18 through 24, then 25 through 29. Um, which my notes are mostly in order. We'll come back to some things. But anyways, okay. So I want to, let's make something clear. Reading comprehension is really important. Uh, we did, when we used to do the right state Bible studies, uh, authorial intent is really big. What the authors intended means something. We can't make up our own uh, meaning. We could try, but that doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, if I can make up my own meaning and you can make up your own meaning, then who cares if mine's different? I don't care what you have to say, and you shouldn't care what I have to say. That's logic, right? And so... Um, I want to go through 18 through 24, and uh, he's doing a comparison. Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. And so, for context, we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of uh, paraphrase or recapitulate. Exodus 19 is where all of Israel is gathered before Mount Sinai. God says he's going to give his law. He's going to meet with the people, and he gives them certain parameters. Uh, well, first, as they're approaching... God's coming down, there's thunders, there's, there's clouds, the mountain shakes, and they're at the base of the mountain. And if, a, if you're standing in front of a mountain and it's shaking, you're not like, man, this is going to be kind of cool. Like, let's go up. No, it's like it's, it's supposed to be this terrifying, this awesome, like, like nobody wants to get near. So much so that God puts the parameter that if, like, put a gate around the mountain and if somehow an animal gets through, stone it, kill it. But don't even touch it. If any of the people break through, stone them. Don't get close to them. It even says, shoot them with arrows. <laughs> That's the, that was the covenant. That's who God is. That's how he, this, is, this terrifying, this awesome scene. But I love the writer of Hebrews. Uh, he says, we didn't come to this mountain. That's not the mountain we're coming to where there's this barrier, where there's a blockade, where if you even think about coming near, where you're like, you're deserving of death. You can't touch God's holiness, his awesome fire. Uh, you, can't, you can't get near. There is no closeness in that, in that mountain. Um, on a side note, one of the things that just struck out to me as I'm reading Exodus 19, um, I'm a very, like, I love using your holy imagination and just read Exodus 19 in your own time, think about it. Uh, but I didn't write which exact verse, but it's in 19. It says that the thunder, or I'm sorry, there's a trumpet blast and everybody in Israel heard. There's hundreds of thousands of people at the base of the mountain. Everybody heard it and the trumpet blast keeps increasing and increasing and increasing and it gets louder and it's this huge, huge scene. And then Moses is finally like, Okay, God, and he says something, and God calls him up, and um, all those themes are, are reminiscent of, of trumpet blasts, of judgment, of, of God proclaiming something throughout all of Scripture, and it's this, 
uh, it's just this, this huge thing that God's like making this blockade. Don't come near. You can't come near me. You couldn't handle me. I'm an all-consuming fire. You couldn't get close. You don't, like, if you try to get close, you're going to die. And so that sets the scene in Hebrews where the writer is interpreting, um, but we have come to Mount Zion and to the city, this is verse 22, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, like all these things we have come to. And so he's setting the, the theological framework of two covenants. There's one covenant. There's all of the old covenants, although there's multiple covenants in the old covenant. But it was a covenant of, of also, give you a little bit more backstory about Exodus 19. It comes right before Exodus 20. Very good. And what's in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And so those are the words um, in verse 19 that says that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. They heard the words of the law. They begged no more. You don't see that in, in Exodus 19 or 20, but you see that retold in Deuteronomy where they're saying they couldn't handle these 10 words. That they're like, there's no, like, just, Lord, please stop speaking. You could have stopped at number one. We can't do that one, but you had nine others. <laughs> That's enough. Uh, the people couldn't handle it. And so uh, the, the old covenant being one... Um, just imagine that scene all throughout scripture, Mount Sinai. This, when you think of Mount Sinai, it's the scene of this terrifying judgment. God's law is coming. Um, judgment. He's an all-consuming fire. He's shaking mountains. There's storms, lightning, all these terrible things. But we, in the new covenant, we're Mount Zion. Psalm 52, 1. I'm sorry, Psalm 50, verse 2 talks about out of Zion comes the perfection of beauty. And so the writer of, writer of Hebrews is making a clear distinction between two covenants, just like we see in, with Paul in Galatians 4, where we see the same allegory being used with Sarah and Hagar, um, where there's two covenants, and this writer is doing the same thing. But instead of coming to a mountain where we can't approach... And uh, there's only one, there's one mediator in that old covenant, which was Moses, who went up. He came, ended up coming down and bringing Aaron a little bit and some of the elders a little bit up the mountain, but they didn't go all the way. There's only one who, who went up all the way, which was Moses at that time. And so he's making this clear distinction. This is what we are to remember, that we're Mount Zion. We're the heavenly Jerusalem. We're the ones that we've come to the great assembly, to the great church. There's myriads of angels before us. That's who we're called to remember who we are, which will come very important when we get to the speaking of more about the kingdom. And so uh, just to, he sets up this way of thinking of that. He has like, 
All these things. You've come to the church of the firstborn. You've come to Christ. You've come to God. You've come to all these things. You've received the sprinkling of blood, which speaks of a better blood than Abel, to, to Jesus, the mediator. You've come to all these things. All these things are already yours. You've already received them, right? And so when we get to verse 26, uh, says, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is things have, that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So oftentimes we jump to a, uh, this is where reading comprehension comes key, uh, jump to a conclusion. He says that is things that have been made, that the things that are shaken are all of created order, all of the heavens and all of the earth are going to pass away. And so this is speaking now of a time that can't be now because I still see, a, I still see people. I still see a physical present world. There's things that are created. Uh, actually, everything I see is created. I don't see anything uh, spiritual. I mean, we know we're spiritual beings, but I don't, everything I see has been in the created order. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about this uh, later in time things that'll wipe away. It's not talking about the end judgment. We're going to see that the things that are made are man-made kingdoms, man-made authorities that we've set up. And we set those up individually. I make wrong, I put wrong things in authority over Christ in my life. We do that in households. We do that in churches, in societies. And he's saying those things that are going to be removed are those things that are shaken. Those are the man-made things. And so we know that uh, by the next verse, which I'll read, but then we're going to jump back to that verse. Um, Things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, therefore we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Right? And so that's what we receive. That's what we have received. So he's talking about kingdoms there. Right? Does that make sense to everybody? That he's not talking about this whole just created order is going to pass away and we're thinking of something now in the future. He's talking about God's continually shaking man made kingdoms and authorities here now. And so because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Um, And so just kind of a, we're going to do a little a primer on the kingdom. And I want to point out uh, Romans, just a couple of verses. Uh, maybe I'll bring this one in later. Actually, let's hold off on that. I'm going to just keep going. Haggai, you guys know where Haggai is yet? If you're going from the New Testament, there's that divide. You all know where Matthew is. Go backwards to Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, third from the end. I gave you guys time. Judgment's upon you. (laughs) So Haggai, oh, I think I've got to actually turn there. No, I've got it on my paper. So I read Haggai again last night. I just fell in love with it uh, again. I probably fell in love with it once. But uh, I I just encourage everybody this week to to reread Haggai again. It's two chapters. Uh, If you're like me, that'll only take you 45 minutes. Uh, Normal people will just take you 10 minutes. But... So Haggai 2.6 is what he's quoting from when he says, I will once more shake not 
the earth only, but the heavens also. And so Haggai 2, the whole thing in context says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in it. And I will fill this house with glory. Uh, he's talking about the house of the Lord that had been uh, ruined. That, And the whole premise of Haggai is um, bringing a complaint against the people that they live in nice houses, yet the house of the Lord hasn't been rebuilt yet. Uh, and this is... I think the northern kingdom had already been captured. Um, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So uh, this is a call and response. What house is he talking about? The house of faith. Uh, good, that's a, another way of saying that we see in these Hebrew passages, he's talking about the church, the general assembly of the elect, of those people who have redeemed, who have the blood sprinkled on them, the blood of a better covenant, the holy Jerusalem, or the uh, heavenly Jerusalem. Because um, if you took this literally, uh, when they rebuilt the house, and even after Herod's uh, um, improvements, still didn't match the former house, not even close. Um, and, and even if they were to rebuild it today, it would not match the glory that it once had. Um, no time after Solomon's building did the glory of the Lord ever fall in the temple again. And so uh, that's the only way that it could even have close to um, majesty and marvelous as, a, as the former house. But... We'll get into why it's the church and everything. And so the writer of Hebrews is bringing out that the Lord had promised to shake not just the earth, one more particular part of the earth, but the heavens, meaning the whole realm of authority. And so um, earthly polity or kingdoms are often referred to as sun, moon, and stars in scripture. And so this begins in Genesis 1.14. You guys are going to do a lot of flipping here. What's a good sermon without... A few Bible passages. So, uh, and this just gives us a setup, a, a context, a, a backstory to these chapters or these verses in Hebrews. That he's saying he's shaking the heavens. He's going to shake it up. Something's coming. So Genesis 1.14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons. And if you've got a pew Bible, uh, this is the exact kind of pew Bible I stole from a church seven years ago that I didn't bring today. Uh, I think they let you take them. But been using the same one. If you go in your pew Bible, in the ESV it says, and for seasons, and it has a little note six. And because sometimes they're translated in different words, the NASB is actually a better translation, I think. It says, or appointed times. And so all throughout scripture, the Lord continues to reference earthly polity, earthly kingdoms with celestial beings, sun, moon, stars, or even just saying the heavens. So when the writer of Hebrews is quoting Haggai and saying, I'm going to shake the kingdoms, 
he's saying, or I'm going to shake the heavens. He's saying, I'm going to bring forth a kingdom and I'm going to shake every other kingdom. Everything in the realm of created order from the top to the bottom, the middle, everything that doesn't submit to the Lordship of Christ will be shaken. Whether that's earthly kingdoms in our government or whether that's household heads or the ways we run uh, our single brother households or the way uh, we operate in a church or in a local city um, or a business. Everything with any authority that isn't submitted to Christ will eventually be shaken. And the kingdom will thus be the one that is not shaken, that can't be removed, and will continue. And so that starts in Genesis 1. He tells you how to interpret things. And just to give you examples, you can write these down. You can search them out and read them in context. For sake of time, we won't read every passage, but I'm just going to give you some examples. Ezekiel 32.7 talks about um, using celestial beings being, and using those in judgment against Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, Isaiah 13.10, which is uh, quoted in Matthew 24, about darkening the sun, moon, and stars, and it won't give its light. Uh, in Isaiah, he's very clearly, he mentions he's, that's judgment against Babylon. Uh, we saw in Haggai, he quotes that he's going to um, bring judgment against the nations. He'll shake all nations. I'm shaking the heavens and the earth. I'm shaking the nations. See how that goes right hand in hand. Um, Acts 2.20, which is quoting Joel 2.31, uh, the day of Pentecost, um, where there's a, a coming, a soon coming destruction. Again, where the moon will, the sun will be blotted out. It won't give its light. And in Acts, Peter rightly interprets it that that day was the day of Pentecost. And so Joel was talking about the day of Pentecost. Um, but that earthly kingdom, that polity was a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we see that we have received a kingdom. That kingdom has come. It is here. It has been since Christ's birth. We don't have a future hope in a kingdom that we're going to put our hope in the future that this kingdom will sometime come and will be unshaken and all the things that could be shaken, we're just going to deal with them now and then soon hopefully we'll receive that kingdom. No, we just got out of Advent, right? Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 talks about the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end, right, from the birth of Christ. That's when the kingdom started coming and it will not end. It will increase, nothing but increase. We might think it increases this much this year, but that's still an increase and our perceptions could be wrong. But he says, what's the reason? The rest of the verse, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not based on anything except for the Lord's zeal that he's going to make it increase. His influence is going to cover the earth. Um, and there's no stopping it. You can't stop the zeal of the Lord. You can't stop his, his zeal, his motivation, his love for the advancement of his kingdom. And so Matthew 28, rightly, Christ says, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So again, 
Our present hope is in this kingdom, putting Christ as Lord of all. And we're going to look at some things in uh, our current situation. Um, But to go back and... So the Greek word, that Greek word shaken or unshaken, only happens one other time in the New Testament. And that's in Acts 27 when... um, Paul and Luke and any other disciples that are with them are run aboard and their ship crashes. It's on, it's on the shore. It's in the rocks. And there's no moving it. They're, they weren't going to like just get out and heave ho one by one and try to get out. It was, the ship was done. You can't move it. And that's the same type of unshakable, unmovable, or unremovable that, that Hebrews is talking about. And so one of the reasons why is, is we know in other parts of Scripture that in John 3, Jesus talks about being born again, right? Nicodemus comes and questions him, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and Jesus says, you couldn't even perceive the kingdom except for being by the Holy Spirit, must be born again by the Holy Spirit. You couldn't even see it. You couldn't imagine it. You couldn't see anything of the kingdom apart from the Holy Spirit. Again, in Romans 14, 15, uh, is that the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit sets up won't be removed, ever. God doesn't put things in hope, working through his Holy Spirit into the earth to like, like maybe in 50 years, like, It'll still be there, but, you know, let's plant a couple other seeds and, uh, and we'll see. God knows the end from the beginning. He's not going to be stopped. His spirit will not be stopped. And so, but through these passages, we know that there's things that are going to be shaken. That's what we should have a mind of, right? And so, as I said before, this happens to us individually, in our families, in our churches, and this happens regularly, John 15 puts it as a, as a pruning process, right? We see that Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. I am the uh, vine. I almost said root. I am the vine. You are the branches, right? And if anything that's cut off can't produce fruit. So that's the same metaphor, right? That's the same, same language speaking, um, that there's, there's going to be pruning. He guarantees it. You should expect pruning. And um, we normally think about that individually because I'm a branch and you guys are branches. And that's just how I think we most oftenly recognize that. We don't normally think about our, our families. But, but I think Hebrews makes it clear. Um, we also see the same language in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in, in verse 10, where he talks about building on another foundation except Christ and that those foundations will be revealed. So 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 13 says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each, each one's work will become manifest. It will reveal itself. 
for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, right? Hebrews 13 um, or 12. Uh, the last verse we looked at is our God is an all-consuming fire. So he says it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And so this happens regularly. What we build upon, again, it's the same language. It's the same revealing. Whatever is done in the darkness, Jesus said, will be revealed in the light. Uh, anything that's not submitted to Christ's authority and his kingdom will be shaken. Any foundation you build, right? Jesus uses used the metaphor of the sinking sand um, or building a foundation on the sand versus on the rocks, it's going to sink. But what happens with all those metaphors? It's burned up by fire, it's sunk, it's pruned. You can see all these things. There's a visual manifest representation of, of especially those, those, that bad fruit of those things that weren't submitted to Christ's authority. Um, when you think of shaking or that could be removed, uh, I, th I draw back to the imagery of, of uh, Exodus 19 of that earthquake of like all these mountains tumbling. I'm sure it doesn't say it didactically in, in Exodus 19, but I'm sure there was like rocks rolling down the hill and like when there's an earthquake, it's not just like just this weird shake. Uh, it's like you, you see rocks rolling down, there's things falling off, right? Um, and so, you know, we see this, uh, I'm going to kind of start from the top, which is not where we normally start and go to the bottom, but we see a subtle, but a nefarious switch in evangelical America. And we have, we are prey to it. We live in this culture and the switch is from the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of men otherwise known as statism. And it switches faith from God to faith in the state or elected officials or men or someone else is going to save me. And we somehow believe that American democracy will influence and fill the earth. Um... We didn't. We won't go to Daniel four, four and seven. Well, actually, I won't go to Daniel four, but I'm going to get seven out um, to give a, an idea of the influence that the kingdom will have. It's in Daniel two, where um, Daniel is interpreting the dream right of the king and. The king had a dream that there was these, this big statue with these precious metals and going down to a feet of clay mixed with iron. And, it's going to be, and there's a rock that comes off and crushes the feet, and that rock grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. If you want to test me on that, go to Daniel 2, verse 35. And it says, so that not a trace from, the, from them could be found, but that stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And if you go to verse 44, 
And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be before this. And then Daniel puts in the dream is certain and its interpretation is true. This kingdom that was of uncut stone is growing into this mountain, right? Uh, what's the imagery we see in that we are in the church in Hebrews? Mount Zion, right? And so one of the things that pits uh, Sinai against Zion is in Zion, there's fear. I'm afraid. In, what did I say, Zion? Thank you. In Sinai, we got one listener. <laughs> uh, in Sinai, there's fear. In Zion, go to, you know, there's tons of, you can just do a Google search of uh, Mount Zion and see some of the things. Some of my favorite are Isaiah 2. From Mount Zion go forth the law. All the nations will stream to Mount Zion. Right? There's no sense of fear. There's only sense of all the nations are coming to us, coming to this mount. We're giving the law. We're discipling. And so uh, when we put our trust in an interpretation of, and that mountain struck, uh, and that was the American diplomacy, and we're going to influence all the nations of the world for American diplomacy. We've fallen into a, a grave sin, and we have grown up in this culture. Not that diplomacy is not good. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a subtle switch in our faith that somehow men in control or women in control are going to save us. But that's not the kingdom of God, right? We're warned over and over not to put our trust in princes and in men. Psalm 146.3, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plans perish. He's done. It's over. Look throughout the course of human history. Egypt, the great and high nation that built the pyramids that we can go see them dilapidated and barely taken care of today. Uh, you can look at Rome, whereas Rome once was the center of the earth. Rome has hardly any influence today. The English and British monarchies, no more than tabloid magazines, <laughs> right? And, and that's the way, because the Lord's going to break down every kingdom that isn't built on the authority of Christ and the kingdom of God. And so um, I had, a, I had a, the pleasure of having a few discussions and with certain people this week and, um, and just getting to know people and whatever. And so we have these thoughts and we have this kind of like somewhat biblical thought. But one thing to be certain is, is I hate to burst anyone's bubble, 
but if you thought America will last forever, I don't think it will. <laughs> I don't think it can last another thousand years. Uh, but the kingdom of God will last. And even as much as I love and honor the Constitution, it's not a document that can stand the test of time. We're, uh, I didn't do the math, since 1787. Uh, we've come a long way to where what the Constitution was isn't even being interpreted the same way. So there's clear deficiencies. Why? There's lots of biblical truth in there. It's, on, it's predicated on Christian values in, in having one creator. But it's not the law of God. It's not discipling people. It's not renewing hearts. And so we live in this culture where we, we naturally want to put our, our trust in men, and it turns us away from Christ. But given our, uh, our current cultural milieu that 2020 stunk, <laughs> save myself, stunk, and uh, that there's all these crazy things going on, um, but what did you expect? None of these things are built on the kingdom of God that are falling apart. None of these things are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All of these things are turmoil, anguish, fear, uh, and, and you name it. And so every earthly kingdom is coming to an end. That's what we should know, and that's what we should expect. And we should, put our, we should have this renewed mind in, um, in the kingdom of God, in placing his authority in every realm of our lives. And so just some practical um, examples, bringing it down from polity more to my life and your life because I can't change the governor or the president or anything um, or how they think or what they do. Um, just one more comment, I guess, on polity. Um, if anyone were to believe that America was going to stand the test of time while we murder 3,000 babies a day and think that God's going to bless that, that's just foolishness. And so God blesses all nations, read Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, based on how they adhere to his law, how obedient they are. And so um, he blesses nations and authority and realms on how obedient they are to his, to his word. And so just bringing it home a little bit of, we start thinking in like a th like ethereal, like thought process of, of pietism, like I, I need to pray more. And certainly that's true. And, um, but we're looking at things like, how can I make Lord uh, or Christ Lord of my economy, of how I use my wallet? And I don't mean tithing, we talked about tithing last week. <laughs> this is this week. How do I use the rest of my income in lordship to Christ? What about my time? Uh, this morning's uh, presentation with uh, uh, Daniel and Christiana about memorizing scripture. If you want to grow, it takes a lot of time. You don't just memorize things like, it's not like you can play something in your sleep and it'll get into your subconscious and you'll memorize it and you got the easy way out. 
you need to make Christ Lord of your time. You need to make Christ Lord of your emotions. You need to make Christ Lord of your affections. He has to become Lord of your work. These aren't like heady, like I believe in Jesus and now I'm going to heaven. Or I could, um, you know, come to church and tithe and be a good Christian and treat the people I live with like trash or be short with them. The call here is that Christ is going to shake all those things in your life that aren't submitted. He's going to go and take you through a process of revealing and those things become manifest. I know when uh, I'm upset with some of the single brothers I live with because I'm short with them. Uh, I yell at them. Uh, I'm passive aggressive. Those aren't godly kingdom oriented things. Those are demeaning things. And those things get shaken and those are the things that that he does make manifest. We have to have a mind to see those things. We have to have eyes to know what things were built on hay and straw and sticks, uh, what things are going to get pruned, and what things, not in the kingdom of God, in our own individual lives, that the Lord is going to shake up and remove. And so you have to do that individually. You have to look at that yourself. You have to have someone else examine you. But, i got to go back to my first page to get the verse, but let's look at the last two verses. Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, here we go, let's show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And so he does mention some things very specifically that if we recognize the covenant that was set before us at Sinai and the covenant we're in, which is at Zion, the natural outcome is going to be gratitude, thankfulness, standing in awe of God. Just imagine if you were one of the Israelites standing before the mountain and there's this terrible quake and thundering and there's this huge like mystical trumpet just like getting louder and louder and louder and God's like, come on up come and enter and everything subsides and you're just like in the presence of the Lord and you're in with myriads of angels and you've been washed clean and everything that Hebrews suggest. So, so that gratitude, that standing in awe is a way you can test yourself to see if you're rightly having that mind of, of the new covenant, if that makes sense. When, Christ is becoming Lord of your life in every aspect, in every respect. Gratitude will increase. It has to. And that's the reality that, that we face today. Um, you know, as we close, I just urge everybody has to kind of examine things from themselves as far as how much trust they put in our state and local governments. And if that's taking away faith in Christ. Because these kingdoms are falling. We see it. And they're going to crash hard, I believe. <laughs> uh, but what's going to remain? The church will always be there. The faithful elect. Those things that are built on the authority of Christ. Even how we work economically is going to stand the test of time. If it's according to the word of God. And so examine these things. Go home and and um, 
Examine yourself, examine your family, uh, even how we operate as a church. And so uh, let's close and pray. Father, we really do pray that your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. It's full. It's without measure. It's with full of praise, full of adoration of Christ, where you reign supreme all the time, where there is no darkness, and you sit on your throne in full day, lighting the kingdom, where there's streams of living water, and there's fruit that bears in its season all year. We pray that that kingdom would come in our lives individually, in our families' lives, and in our church life. And that we would be a church that extends your kingdom into all other nations. By your son's name we pray. Amen.